Genesis chapter 38, a story within a story. Judah, son of Jacob, leaves his other brothers and he goes down, which is never a good thing in Torah, but he goes down and he builds himself a family. He gets married, they have three kids, their names are Er, Onan, and Shelah, but this is where the story really begins. Judah marries off his eldest son, Er, to a woman named Tamar. But Er is Ra, he is a bad seed, and God kills him. So now we're going to pause for a lesson on leveret marriage, because we're not all familiar, thank God, with leveret marriage, and this was a really big thing. So here's what would happen. If you're a man, and your brother is married, and he dies before he has any children with his wife, and you're the younger brother, you will then marry his widow. You will step in and you will continue your brother's lineage. So any child from this union belongs essentially not to you, but to your deceased brother. It's not incest, it's your duty. So Judah, <laughs> so that's, I, we got leveret marriage now, we're ready. Okay, so after Er dies, jo Judah gives Tamar to his next son, Onan, but Onan is having none of it, and he spills his seed on the ground rather than fathering a child for his brother. In the text, God is not really a fan of Onanism, and Onan dies. <laughs> Tamar is now widowed a second time. But behold, there's a third son. Judah has a third son named Shelah, which literally means belongs to her. And by law of leveret marriage and nominal determinism, Shelah should be Shelah. Judah should give his son to Tamar, but oh no, no. Two of his sons have died while married to her. These are not great odds. <laughs> but he assures Tamar, you will marry Shelah after Shelah reaches a marriageable age. So he sends her off and says, go live a widow's life with your father until my son is ready, and then I'll bring you back, and you'll get married. Meanwhile, Judah has absolutely no intention of marrying his third and only living son to Tamar. So Tamar goes off to live the life of an aguna, of a bound woman. She is in limbo. She's bound to her brother-in-law, Shelah, but Judah has no intention of marrying her to him, and she's forbidden to marry anybody else. So she, Tamar, is completely trapped. And she waits for years for one word from Judah, for her life to pick up again. And then finally, it becomes clear that Judah has no intention of marrying her to Shelah, and she hears the news that Judah's wife has died. And she hears the news that Judah is off to a sheep shearing festival, which by the way, sheep shearing festivals are notorious for drinking and licentiousness. <laughs> and Tamar takes the law into her own hands. 
She casts off her widow's robes. She covers herself in a veil, and she sits down by the side of a town called Petach Enaim, literally, the opening of the eye. She knows that Judah will pass by. She knows the reputation of sheep shearing festivals. And she knows that the leveret duty can be performed by the father-in-law. Sure enough, Judah arrives at Petach Enaim. He understands her to be a prostitute, and he sleeps with her. As collateral for payment, Tamar requires Judah's seal, his cord, and his staff. Essentially, she holds on to his driver's license and his credit card. And Judah sends his friend the next day with the sheep that was going to be payment for her and to pick up his ID and credit card, but the woman is nowhere to be found. And lo and behold, three months later, Judah learns that his daughter-in-law Tamar is with child. Disgusted that she has clearly slept with someone else while bound in law to Shelah, whom he's never going to give to her, Judah condemns her to death by burning. Now this is the moment. When Tamar is led out of her home, she carries Judah's staff, his seal, and his cord. And for the first time in the entire story, we hear Tamar's voice. She declares, Hakerna, recognize these objects, if you will. I am pregnant by the man to whom these belong. Amazingly, notice she went out of her way not to name Judah, not to shame Judah, Judah instantly recognizes the seal as his own, and he admits, said Kamimeni, she is more righteous than I. We'll learn more about Judah tomorrow. Tonight, tonight let's, let's hear more about Tamar. Truth be told, I really didn't want to hear from Tamar this week. I wanted a different heroine. Last week we read that Dina went out. We read of a woman who perhaps rebelled against the system. That's who I want to learn from. An activist, maybe a Judith or a Devorah. But you, Tamar, you re reinforce the system. You degraded yourself. You put your own life at risk and you went out of your way not to shame the man who imprisoned you, took you for a prostitute and slept with you. And what is the reward? You become the great grandmother of kings. The line of David springs from you. Hope, from redemption. Hope for redemption emanates from your loins. But really, you became a single mom to two rambunctious boys and then quickly left. I didn't want to hear what you have to teach. Dina went out. I want a heroine who bucks the system. You, Tamar, reinforce the system. But then I arrived at Petach Naim, at the opening of the eyes. And I saw that my own anger, which has been brewing to, till it overrun the stew, is getting in the way. Through my anger, 
Tamar, I couldn't see all that you have to teach us. Through my anger, I couldn't hear your powerful voice. And now I'm asking you to be my teacher. In this very moment in time, in the midst of anger and hurt and distrust and raw collective pain, as we shine a light on ingrained systematic attitudes towards women that breed sexual violence and degradation and second-class status. We were supposed to be past this. <laughs> Post-gendered society, empowerment, a culture where women no longer live in fear, where we have domain over our bodies. We own our fertility. We do not live in fear of back alleys and hangers and bleeding to death. But this isn't where we live. There are men in power trying and more and more succeeding to legislate our bodies, to go back to the bad old days. There are men in power coming literally one after the other, cave dwellers exposed by the light of the sun who objectify and violate women and also not women, but primarily women because they can. Because no one and nothing ever said, people do not belong to you. Because society still says that boys will be boys. And because men deemed brilliant get a free pass, whether they be auteurs, politicians, great writers, or yes, even spiritual leaders. And that is why we need your voice right now, Tamar. Because as Rabbi Diane Kohler Esses teaches, Tamar, you face the world as it is, not as you want it to be. You cultivate the tools to impact this world as it is, and you don't get stuck and paralyzed by wishing it to be something else already. You're not trapped in your own ideology, and that is how you open other people's eyes. And so, in this very moment, it's your voice, not only Dina's, not only Judith's, that gives us strength. Tamar, meaning date palm, strong tree of the desert who knows how to sway in the wind and not snap, who brings forth sweet fruit and silan, date honey. Tamar, who sees the world as it is and strategizes like a boss. <laughs> Teach me how to channel my anger for good. Teach me how to keep my eyes on the prize of justice and equality, but not by blinking away where we are now. Help us to see our society, to accept the reality, the diagnosis of how far we have to go, and to face it not with helpless frustration, but with sleeves rolled up. How did you do it? twice widowed by bad men, accused of being a husband killer, imprisoned by the one who was supposed to protect you, disposed of, cast off to remain an aguna in your father's house, relegated to conveniently disappear from the narrative, and what did you do? You showed up. You refused to quietly exit stage left. And when you showed up, you didn't show up angry with impotent rage. You were calm. You stood up, you called bad behavior to account, you wrought justice, and you did so without shaming a soul. Please, show me how. 
Sister Tamar, you strategized. When Judah threw you out, you didn't stew, you studied. You stepped up to the balcony, kept your eyes and ears open, and you observed at a distance. You did not let yourself be degraded, and you didn't lose your cool, and you intuited when the time was ripe for change. The whole family wanted you to disappear, and you walked to a place called eye-opening with grace. You said, look at me, and you owned your place in history. Teach us how to open other people's eyes. Teach us grace and how not to be blinded by anger. And if I need to play a role as you did, God willing, never a prostitute, teach me never to forget who I really am and why I am here. The Midrashists imagine that when you arrived at Petach Enaim, the place where eyes are opened, that you pray from the bottom of your heart. And these are the words of your prayer. May it be your will that I not leave this place of eye-opening empty. In this moment, in this community, I pray for all of us to face the realities as they are, as vexing and as complicated as they are, to not run away, to not implode with anger, to face and to study without illusions, like Tamar, to see where and how we can change from the inside out. And I pray from the bottom of my heart that this condemning of pervasive degradation of women, this outcry of Me Too, is a true eye-opening, and that each and every one of us refuses to leave empty because this can't only be the blink of an eye.